I'm Talib Vizram, and this is World Changing Ideas from Fast Company Magazine, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. Hey, everybody. Welcome back, and I hope you all had a very healthy and happy holiday season. To kick off the new year, we're going to shake things up. And to help me is our producer, Avery Miles. Happy New Year, Avery. Happy New Year to you too, Talib. I'm excited to hear what we've got in store today. So we know January is the month of resolutions, if you heard mm-hmm. our resolutions episode from December, uh, which often includes people trying out a new diet fad. Right. And there's a whole slew of them out there, like the paleo, the Mediterranean, vegan, obviously, keto, and the alkaline diet. I have not heard of the alkaline diet. Um, uh, And I won't get into weighing the merits of one (laughs) over another. But I did start uh, calorie counting, actually, um, on the MyFitnessPal app. Hmm. But then the holidays happened and Turkey happened. And uh, so (laughs) that's on on the back burner now. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it reminds me of an article I was working on recently where a company called Supplant has developed a sugar substitute made out of fiber. Whoa. Okay. Can you explain that, please? So it's derived from fibers like wheat and corn, which are extracted from the husks and cobs that are usually just thrown away. And this new type of sugar is how certain foods like ketchup and baked beans get their saccharinity. Uh, Did not know saccharinity was a word, Um, (laughs) but that's cool. So it comes from fibers. Uh, Where did the idea to create this sugar substitute come from? Yeah, you you can tell I've been reading the Scrabble Dictionary. (laughs) Well, fiber is the most abundant source of sugar in the world. I talked with Tom Simmons, a biochemist who's leading the innovative team at Supplant, and he broke it down. So the, the first step is sort of mechanical breaking down, so uh, better known as grinding. Take your corn cob or your wheat straw, and of course you can't start doing your proper science-based stuff on that. You need to break down, so it's fine. So the first step is sort of breaking down. Second step in terms of me- me- mechanically grinding. Second step is then breaking down on a, on a, on a sort of molecular level. So that, and, and for this, we use enzymes. The enzymes come from fungi. So you grow fungi separately, you, uh, the fungi excrete these enzymes. Enzymes uh, are sort of the biology's way of making reactions happen. So the enzymes are in your body making reactions happen. Enzymes are producing fungi. Okay. They make uh, reactions happen. And so we then take the enzymes from the fungi and you put them on the already ground corn cob or wheat bran or, or oat husks. And then what that does then is on a molecular scale starts breaking down these, I, I, on a very, very small scale, starts breaking down these, uh, these long chains of sugars into into very into very short chains of sugars that's step number two and then after that basically the product is basically there there's just a, a, a final step which is sort of just you know cleaning the the product and drying it and so what comes out the other end is a is a dry powder huh good to know but if this is so natural why hasn't it been done before good question and i ask the same thing one take on it is um why food industry has never uh, solved this problem before is that, you know, my background, as I say, was, was related to the food industry. It was, it was plant science and it was carbohydrate science, but it was very much, uh, the, the people working in the space 
were obviously working on some science related to food because it's planting the carbohydrates, but they were really thinking about non-food applications for, for these sort of things. And, and, and similarly, there's a whole load of scientists in the food industry who really understand the problem of sugar in food and, and have some thoughts about how it could be solved, but really don't know, don't know that science. And so, and so partly what I did was putting two and two together and saying, there's this body of scientific knowledge which is outside the food space, there's a deeply understood and acutely felt problem in the food space that hasn't been solved, and, uh, and sort of the, the two never have, have met before. And so partly it was mm. putting two and two together. That's probably one of the best sort of answers I have to the question of why that hasn't happened before. It's just sort of different areas of the science that don't talk to each other. So what's the scale of this product? Like, can we see this on shelves in supermarkets? Not yet. The company's aim is to get the Kellogg's and Heinz's of the world to come on board. But it's already formed a partnership with Chef Tom Keller, you know, the one who owns the three Michelin star restaurant per se. Well, I just think it's, you know, it can change the world. <laughs> this is historic, right? And who doesn't want to be part of something that can change the world and that's historic? Think about children in the future and their ability, you know, to eat things that they like, like, you know, whatever, Cheerios or Frosted Flakes or <laughs> whatever. And yet not be negatively impacted by the ramifications of sugar. You think about that, who, who would say no to that kind of opportunity? And that's, a, that's an important part. We, you know, pretty much focus, you know, 80% of our time on the culinary side, but we don't forget about the sustainability side either. I mean, you think about that and the amount of rice plants that are burnt, that, that, that are torched, you know, every year in Southeast Asia and the pollution that it, that creates, I mean, it's like, wow. I mean, you, all of a sudden you're producing, uh, you know, an ingredient out of something that benefits everything. Right. It does seem like a huge step in creating a sustainable solution for both people's health as well as the environment. But does it actually taste sweet? Yes, for savory dishes, but for sweet snacks and desserts like ice cream or shortbread, Supplant may not be quite sweet enough. The challenge in the beginning was just, you know, certainly from a dessert point of view, uh, or the sweet point of view for us was what was one to one, and just never really found the success in replicating what we wanted to produce. We we, we struggled with the one to one replacement, and we, we finally decided, you know what, it's, it's not worth it um, to try to do that. Mm. And what we needed to do was to really look into the results. The result that we were trying to achieve was a replication of what we do in our restaurants. You know, whether it's the ice cream, you know, and again, the three items that we produce, right. you know, beginning with the ice cream, the chocolate, um, both milk and dark, you know, as well as, as the shortbreads. And, you know, we, we settled on 50-50. So we're continuing, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a continuous development. It's not finished. Yeah. Um, but we're really, like, just stunned. We stood around, pastry chefs, chefs of cuisines, myself, R&D, and we just, we tasted the, you know, the results of those formulations and go, this is really, really, really amazing. I can't wait to try it. Until it reaches shelves, uh, you can find Supplant at a few smaller bakeries around the U.S., uh, like Sweet Republic in Arizona and Cookie Fix in Alabama, if you find yourselves in those parts at any, <laughs> at any point. <laughs> Field trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we expense that? I don't know. Yeah, right. 2022, here we go. It's going to be a food, a food carousel. <laughs> <laughs> a food carousel. <laughs> it's going to be quite fun. <laughs> 
That's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to World Changing Ideas wherever you listen. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. World Changing Ideas is produced by Avery Miles and our editor is Nicholas Torres.